Okay. So, genes. When you think, I'm going to go through my whole thing. So when you, I mostly want to do this just for myself, but when you, when people say, like, this lady lived to be 100 years old or 110 years old, everybody asks, well, why did she do that? And then the answers are usually, well, she didn't drink, she didn't smoke, she exercised, uh, she took her vitamins, and that's great. But it turns out that's usually not, yeah, usually not the case. I mean, she may have smoked or she may have drank, it doesn't, it just doesn't really have that same effect. So it turns out that it's mostly genes. And you can see people who didn't drink, didn't smoke, did exercise, did take their vitamins, and they die when they're 60. So in that case, it turns out the genes are the major factor in how long you live. And so I draw a parallel between this and a business model. So if your business model is solid, just like your genes, if you think of your, your business model as the genes of your business, then if you've got a good business model, your business can smoke and drink and not exercise and not take its vitamins, <laughs> and you can still live for a long time and be successful. And likewise, if you've got a bad business model or your business has bad genes, then you can exercise and avoid drinking and avoid smoking and take your vitamins and you still might die when you're 50 or 60. I mean, you still might have a failure of a business even if you execute flawlessly. So it's not necessarily the execution only. That'll, an ex the great execution of a good business plan may separate the good from the great, but if you don't have a good business plan, you're not going, you don't even have the potential to be great. It's just not even possible. No, that's awesome. That's the so when you look at how Warren Buffett decides what to buy, he talks about trying to buy stuff that is so undervalued that it's obvious that that's a good idea, and then stuff that's so simple. Is he the one that says even an idiot should be able to run it because eventually an idiot will? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that him? Yeah. It's, you look at all that stuff, and that would lead you. That would lead me to to conclude that the most important thing is coming up with a, a good model, and that's way more important than execution. Because he seems to think that the model is what you said a minute ago. It's a structural the, thing that it's the genes of your company, yeah. exactly. And if you don't have good genes, you're going down. You just the odds are not on your side if you don't have good genes or a good business model. Well, yeah. So then execution would just be something to compensate for a bad model or something to hopefully... Uh, <laughs> Take you to your peak performance and just a good one. <laughs> and make you go from good to great. Yeah. So we would... So that's cool. And then the, the thing that I would... Is it doing it? Oh, we're good. Cool. The thing that I have a problem with is the idea that... So if we take your metaphor of the genes versus uh, how you take care of yourself and whatever. Mm -hmm. The stuff that you have control over is, you know, if I smoke or not, or if I drink or not, or if I exercise or whatever. And that seems like a very, very small percentage of, of uh, action that's responsible for the overall effect. Yeah. And it seems like the lion's share of the effect can be drawn from the genes. Right. Which is something out of my control. Okay, so... This is this is where I would say thank you. That's exactly right. This is where I'd say the business. The the difference is that we the business is like our child, 
and in this case, there's some genetic engineering where <laughs> we, we can choose the genes of the business. We can choose the business model of our business. And so we were talking about this. The whole conversation stems from the fact that we see these successful people and the question, we see so many successful people like Elon Musk and uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Warren Buffett. And we have to ask ourselves, is this a case of them all having something in common and doing a set of successful behaviors? Or is it merely a case of survivorship bias where we're hearing from those who just happened to make it work? It just worked for them. I mean, there might be other Bill Gates out there that we won't hear about. They're just as uh, talented, just as intellectual, just as focused. They might even have the same idea, but for some reason it just didn't work out for them. And so that would be the argument that it's survivorship bias for these people who did make it through. So, basically, most people, I think to a large degree, there is a massive survivorship bias because people work on what they're passionate about, they work on what their hobbies are, and you brought up a great example of Derek Sivers. Like, Derek Yeah, it's, to, to me, at least, it looks like he... Well, he admits it, too. He, he chanced on CD Baby. So he didn't have any idea what it was going to be when he was doing it. He was just trying to do it to sell his own CDs. And then some of his friends thought, oh, that's really cool. Would you sell some of my CDs on your website, too? He's like, yeah, okay. And then he knew it was going to be a business from people he didn't know started contacting him to sell their CDs for him. And he talks about he found like an early email from CD Baby where he was emailing his assistant and he was saying, you know, I think this could be really large. We might have to get, like, another computer. And we may even have to move the CDs out of the living room and start storing them in the garage. I don't know. We could have 100 artists. Yes. It was like, which is really cool, because he stumbled onto a market, and then he had, uh, he had the ability to recognize that. With being able to capture that opportunity. To well, it's the thing, too. I mean, he talks about each step of uh, innovation and growth in CD Baby was him responding to outer stimuli. Yeah. Like the guy who emailed him from Europe or whatever asking if you had any new items in the store. In the he's store. like, this isn't a store, this is a thing. And then before he could type it, he was like, oh, maybe it's a this store. is a store. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like that thing, to not, the Munger quote, the trouble with plans is you think you have to follow them because... You made them. Yeah. yeah. He didn't have that problem, which is cool because he didn't really have a plan. Which is great. But the thing that I think, if you look at Derek Sivers after he sold CD Baby, to me at least, it looks like he's flailing around trying a whole bunch of stuff, and he seems really depressed. Okay. And I think it's because he chanced into CD Baby, and then everybody attributed it to him as being a successful person. Right. And then he doesn't actually know what it takes to discern that from all of the options around him. Yeah. Which is the thing, so I guess that's the part that, that I would be interested in, because I think Charlie Munger would be an example of somebody who knows how to process uh, information in the world that he encounters, and to sift through it and shake out stuff that would be a good opportunity for him. Yeah. And so I think that that, I think that that would be the skill set, right? And I think Richard Branson does that too, in a totally different way, but he, it's the, the net effect is the same. Richard Branson has a different whatever circle of competence that acts as a different kind of sieve and he's in a different environment so he gets different material that he shakes out but they they both know how to sort stuff effectively and it's, and it's not 100% effectively either I mean 
Branson has a whole <laughs> has a whole slew of businesses that don't work, and he always talks about how thin the line is between success and failure, mm-hmm. and how you can. He's the one that that I think of when he talks about. You have the parts that you have under control, the parts that you can do, and then it comes down most of the time to things that are outside of your control. And that's the thing that Munger also says with the, we're looking for something that has a one in two chance of, of winning that will pay us three to one. And it's like, there, <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no 100% certainty with any of this stuff. But it seems like these guys do the thing where they, they try stuff, and they do it intelligently. They sift out to, to where they have great odds of succeeding, and then they try it. And then if it, you know, works, they go cool, and they do it again. And if it doesn't work, they look at it and try and figure it out and whatever, and, and do something different. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's the, it for for me, it's the the mental struggle of trying to figure out what it what is it that I have control over, what is it that I have influence over, and what is it that I don't. And if it's if the biggest part is something outside of my control, is there even any point in trying to do anything? So that's the question, right? That's yeah. basically what it comes down to. Is it mostly survivorship bias where all of these businesses are just chance and we only hear from the ones that are successful, which is a small percentage that just happen to get there by chance? And we could say we think... Well, actually, like you said, Derek Sivers admitted to that. So, yeah, Derek Sivers is an example of survivorship bias. Yeah. He just stumbled upon it. And that's not to say that he's, like, washed up or whatever. No. That's not to say that he's done, but it's like it, it would ex- it would be a really weird feeling to be credited with being a successful person. And not know what you know. So yeah. we were talking about you basically – we were looking at, like, Coca-Cola and Google. So we can both say with relative confidence that those are successful companies. Yeah. They're successful companies <laughs> and – you know, it depends on how you define your market. You can you can define your industry or your market in wider and wider concentric circles. Like we could define Google as a search engine company, or we could say going wider, they're an, they're in the ad agency. They're in uh, in the ad industry, mm-hmm. so that's way bigger, and they'd have more competition there. And likewise with Coca Cola, Coca Cola has a monopoly on. Coca-Cola. <laughs> they don't necessarily... You can make an argument whether they have a monopoly on Coke uh, as, you know, cola. Uh, and you can make an argument whether they have monopoly on soda, but it keeps getting wider and wider. They don't have monopoly on drinks. They don't have monopoly on food and such. But... So, Coca-Cola and Google, then, are two companies that have business models that work and each of those business models share common fundamental things that work out for them. So there are commonalities between their business models that cause them to be good business models. And we can say that because we can basically define their business models by what makes them successful. So you can do that, and it's the when you do it over. I get what you mean by markets now. When you do it over what, from that vantage point, are two seemingly totally different markets, mm-hmm. you can uh, distill out general things that they both have in common. Yes. But when you zoom out that far, the stuff is really general. <laughs> Wait, which, it's which like, like you were saying, provide a service that someone wants. Exactly, <laughs> which is huge. It's like, and <laughs> if you do that, then you made it. <laughs> And you win. 
not sure how that's actually. But that's like what you were saying with the self-help books and such. Yeah. It gets to a point where it's so general that there's no actionable items. And when there are actionable items, it's really to just get you in a state of mind or... Uh, yeah. It's not to say... Which is <laughs> utterly useless, but it's not... It doesn't feel particularly helpful. Right. It'd be... Easier. I'd be amazed if anyone read a self-help book, put it down, and just had a business plan pop into their head besides selling more self-help books. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so then we can say that, let's say what we really want to do, going back to the genes of the business, mm -hmm. if we say the business plan is the genes, and we say that Coca-Cola and Google have a business plan that have fundamental elements in common that make them successful. Then, we, in theory, should be able to define that business plan as a checklist. And if we can define that and we can follow it, we will have created the blueprint or the genes of a potentially successful company. So... We'll have created a filter. We'll have created a filter. But you still have to sift through the information. And it's like Tell me what you mean. So if you look at... Coca-Cola, you figure out, okay, we figure out that they have a soft drink that people <laughs> want to drink. Why yeah. do people want to drink it? They've spent a hundred years building brand. They've engineered the bejesus out of it to try and make it as refreshing and sugary addictive yeah. <laughs> and get rid of the aftertaste so you can drink 20 at a time. Good in the they've, cold and in the hot. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've done all of that stuff, which is super cool. And so you look at that and we think, okay, so they've done this, this, and this to make their product better. People want it. They have some degree of pricing power, Warren seems to think. And so whether they execute that and actually raising the price or, or doing what the chips do, where it's, you know, less, <laughs> yeah, whatever. But even if they don't, I mean, the margins on Coca-Cola have to be amazing. It, it doesn't cost much to produce the cola. The sugar water. Yeah. So you get all of that stuff, and we can discern that, and that's fine, but then it still comes down to, to us recognizing what, what's our Coca-Cola. So What is the actual specific... Exactly. Thing that's that the thing. So I guess what I'm trying to get down to is, first of all, we need to establish or accept the fact that it's even possible. Because, the, cool. because when we... I've been asking people this question over the last week or two, do you think that it's, is it mostly chance or <laughs> do, do successful people have something in common? Is this all survivorship bias? And a lot of, I'd actually say the majority of people come down on the side that it's just chance, which is terribly depressing because... Is it the majority of people who do it or the majority of people who don't? Like the majority of people who, by your definition, are successful? They say the majority of people who, by my definition, of are successful. In the people you're asking, are you asking people that fall into your category? Oh no! So I'm asking people who do not fall into my category, which is another, which is a bias. Yeah. Absolutely true. So, but what we're trying to do here is just establish that it's possible if we can say this is going through some logic here. If we can say that the success of a company is mostly defined by its genes mm -hmm. or its business model, and we can, you know, to going over a couple of those things on the checklist, like you said, people have to want that product or service. <laughs> uh, you most likely want it to grow. You want it to be in a market that is not new, at least when you're starting out. 
uh, because you don't have the money or the capital to educate people as to why they should buy yeah, you don't that project. You don't want to be a trailblazer in the market. <laughs> then you got to go over regulation, and you just, yeah. it's tough. Then the second guy comes in, and, and he you just cleared it for him. You cleared it for him. <laughs> you the way. So you don't want to do a new market. You don't want to do a heavily saturated market because there's, there's incredible competition, obviously, and to distinguish yourself. Peter Thiel, Zero to One, that book is beautiful in talking about how you always want to go for the monopoly. And <laughs> markets are either monopolistic markets or competitive markets, and you don't want to be in a competitive market. So the market you do want to choose is one where people are executing poorly and they're still making money hand over fist. And that is an indication that they've got a business model that is working. Now, they're not executing well, but the genes of that company are strong and the potential of that company is great. So that's, if you look at Richard Branson and you look at the businesses that he's done that, that have been successful in that, the Virgin Airlines, he looked at British Airways and decided that they were executing poorly. Mm-hmm. And he decided that <laughs> yeah. by making a phone call. He called up British Airways to try and book a ticket or whatever and couldn't get through to anyone. And then he called them two days later because he thought, oh, maybe they were busy and still couldn't get through to anyone. And it was those two calls he decided, oh, I could probably do this better. <laughs> so it's a, a company that, that's clearly in a market that people want that is doing well to some degree that he felt he could do better. That being said, too, you look at the whatever Warren talks about, the don't buy effect of airlines. <laughs> don't buy an airline. <laughs> capitalist was said, Kitty Hawk, they were shot. It. It's like, yeah. <laughs> shot the right brothers. Yeah, that. <laughs> but yeah, to your point, that's... But so that's, Richard looked at that, and then Richard looked at Coca-Cola, and he tried to do Virgin Cola to take over Coca-Cola, and like, tried. They put, you know, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars into research development and advertising. That a bottle designed like I think it was Pamela Faye's body. They borrowed her ratios, and he made the joke that it would always always fall over. It was top heavy, yeah, which is funny. <laughs> but so he did that, and then he said that the flaw with that, I can't remember if he said this or not, but it's looking at it this way. The flaw with that is that they went into an area where Coca Cola was actually doing it very well, hmm. and it wasn't that the market was underserved. Whereas the businesses that Richard's done that have succeeded, the record store. He did a record store, Virgin Records, when he was a kid. Because the only record stores in London were these uptight, really snobby, weird places that the young, cool hippies didn't want to hang out in. So he yeah. tried to make something for them. It's fascinating, though, because he had another thing, uh, Virgin Brides, that totally failed. Which is an awesome name. It's like a funny... <laughs> and he makes a joke, no wonder it failed. Yeah. <laughs> But it's that same thing. It's like it's he's got. You look at his success rate versus his failure rate, and if it's a percentage of ventures attempted, I don't know. But but capital wise, he does really well. So yes, but it's not a, each individual venture is not a hundred percent thing for him. But is it the idea that he is in a position to try to, to filter out most of the refuse and to get it down to the ones that are Warren said one and two pays three to one? He can get it down to that, and then he's just willing to try them. Well, I would play devil's advocate here. Also, if I were coming from the perspective that everything is survivorship bias, you could also say that I'm not trying to argue that Richard Branson is because I don't believe he is. No, uh, if I wanted to argue that he okay. is, though, I would say that. 
let's say his first company was survivorship bias and everything after that has been because he made a successful first one he was able to use the capital to to even potentially fail on yeah, the that's the best way to make a million dollars in the start industry <laughs> I'm not a believer of that either I think that I don't know. But if you look at the PayPal people, so Elon Musk, for instance, Zip2, like he created Zip2, he was he sold it to Compaq, he was able to use that money to to seed PayPal. Then they were able, you know. But it's so the thing is, and I'm sorry to interrupt your devil's advocate, <laughs> but the the thing is with that kind of stuff too. It's the, you know, I, I think it's way easier to to lose money than it is to make money, and that then that Elon Musk decided to invest in PayPal. Which was a sound idea that met a whole bunch of criteria that we should go through and figure out a checklist for. Mm-hmm. It's like that's a representation of him sorting through that thing. Yeah, no, PayPal was a great idea, but it's not. He didn't do PayPal. It wasn't solely because he had uh, seed money from Zip Two. It was he was in a position to play at that level, but he still had the filter. I agree. So obviously, we're both on the same side of this. Uh, but I would just say. But are there examples of the other way, though? Like, are there examples of people who, I don't know, were really successful at, yeah, I guess, Derek Sivers. <laughs> so and they haven't really done something after. At a thing, and then is it lost to what to do next? Because you could say that there are multiple people. Let's say at the same time as uh, PayPal, there were other companies that, because actually Elon Musk didn't even start PayPal itself. He started yeah, X.com, yeah. which, which merged with PayPal because they were both doing so well. So there were other companies really? out there. It was because they were both doing well. Yeah. Well, actually, it's because they were. It's because they were both going to get stomped on by eBay if they didn't okay. combine forces. So my you're right. That's a good. Me. It's a good correction. <laughs> and which they eventually got bought out by PayPal. But Peter Thiel was over at PayPal, or bought out by eBay. And Peter Thiel was over at PayPal. But you could say that perhaps there were other companies okay. like that being started at the same exact time this is again the devil's advocate and they and Elon was and Elon and the gang was able to pull that out because they had some capital resources to make that move forward I don't know if that's the case they also were incredibly resourceful and had the ability to look at a checklist of things and maybe there weren't other companies at the time that were doing exactly what x.com and PayPal were doing so that's the beside actually I want to get back to the genes of the company and the business sure. model. So, I was saying if we, what we're trying to prove here is we're trying to disprove the fact that it's a hundred percent survivorship bias. I think we can say that some of it is for sure, but we're trying to disprove the fact that it's a hundred percent. And the way we can do that is say, first of all, we have to assert and believe that the majority of a success of a business is due to its business model. So, like we said so in the beginning, if we take that... Our definition of business model again? Is the gene of the company. So if we go back to that analogy of a business, a company that has a good business model is one that can smoke, drink, not exercise, have vitamins, not take vitamins, and still make money. Okay. And a bad business model is one that takes good care of itself but can't make any money or makes very little money. Cool. So, in the examples we should look at to do our checklist are the, the companies that Berkshire owns. The companies as that excellent, looks at. As excellent companies. You're exactly right, because they've all got this checklist. Because they sell good genes. 
they've got all solid genes. They've got companies that are excellent. So if we can create a company that has that checklist, then you can basically say that now you've got a company that has a really good chance of making money. Now, way easier said than done, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> you, that's where the nitty-gritty gets, it's really where it gets down to it is, can you go through everything on that checklist and figure something out that matches all that criteria? Because if you can, then you can have a crazy successful business. But that's the trick. So, now here's the survivorship. Point out, too, that even at that point, it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. You do everything right so, through that, and then there's still forces out of your control that could make that uh, very bad. And this is where I'd say timing comes into it. This, I'd say that's where you, <laughs> there is luck, <laughs> and it's how you do it. I don't know if luck is the right word, though. It's, it's, there's chance. There's stuff that's outside of your control. There's stuff that's outside of your control, and it's how you deal with it. So let's say you've got a, good business, you've got a great business model. Things that happen and the stuff that's outside of your control, I think, will will determine whether that business model becomes crazy successful when you're 22 versus when you're 40. Like, it's it's a matter of timing because you could just get stomped down over and over and over and if you're persistent with that business model and you truly believe it's a good business model and... It's actually a good business that's model. That's the most important it, part. It's actually, that's the most important part is to recognize reality that it actually has to be. It's not only just do I believe it's yeah, a good business model. Your beliefs are only helpful if they're calibrated to reality. Your belief is helpful for persistence. But it's helpful for persistence. Which is incredibly important. But there are also, you're right, there are also instances like Kanye West. People who, who firmly believe in themselves so much that they, they have something of, of value. It's hard to say objective value when you're dealing with anything that's art. Artistic, <laughs> right. But they have something of value right. that's recognized by people who are already established in the field as valuable. Right. And then the confidence is something that keeps it drives them to do it, but it also it, it manufactures some of success, too. In this case, yeah, most I definitely. So. But, it's like, but that's something very, very different. It's the... Munger has a quote where he talks about enthusiasm, which is really essential in a lot of ventures, is deadly in investing. Nice. Yeah. Is that thing. I mean, there are times when it's to, to have a totally irrational belief. Steve Jobs. To have a totally irrational belief in what you're doing <laughs> when you start it, and then to go forth and make that into something. And it's the, the thing that he had that was a benefit that you can look at in hindsight and I guess say it, it's real, but we'll never know if it would have happened without him. Is right. the idea that, you know, and, and Bill Gates, the idea of personal computers, to have those in houses. <laughs> so if that was actually a sound idea, which it appears to have been. Then that's another one of the questions. Did... Did these people make these industries happen, or were they going to happen, and these people happen to be in the industries? So that's also another core of the question of survivorship bias. But that, again, is, and I apologize for doing that, that that's not something you want to do, though, because you already ruled out creating a new industry, which for our checklist, right. we, don't, we don't want to do We don't that. want to do it. No, you're right. You're right. These, but it's fascinating. But it's fascinating. These... 
<laughs> it's not it's yeah that's not a good way to go you're totally right but if we look at all the successful people i think many of them even they admit that they were just working on something they thought was interesting like they didn't start out with saying this business model is going to work and make me billions or this uh, I see personal computing taking off now the one Elon Musk is the, one, <laughs> is the one where that doesn't work and he is just amazing on so many levels because he was able to say in these four areas are going to be huge in my lifetime I want to be a part of them and I hope that's true I hope that's not just a narrative that people have come up with in hindsight <laughs> and that's a great point too he says he did it well I guess we're yeah. going to give the benefit yeah. of the doubt I don't know but That'd be really cool. But Bill Gates, I've, I've seen some interviews. He says, I was just a programmer, and I, I consider myself a coder more than a businessman. He says that. Right. And he says he just did it because that was cool. He, he enjoyed personal computers. He, he did want to put everyone in everybody's homes. But then there were other people out there who also enjoyed it and were also doing that. So maybe in the case of Bill Gates, for example, it was survivorship bias. But he was also working on the right business plan, the right business model. So, because here's the thing. You can approach it by chance, by pure chance, and just do what you want to do through passion and your hobbies. And maybe you'll be crazy successful. And by success, I'm defining success by money. So how large your business is. tens of billions, hundreds of billions, market cap, whatever it is. That's that's a metric of success that I'm using here. So if you go strictly by chance, then you may be successful, you may not be. If you're just taking out all of the business plans and just doing what you want to do. But we're trying to say, is it possible to actively choose a business plan and make that happen? and make it so that you're successful based on the business plan that you choose? Because the answer to that question is very important. (laughs) (laughs) If you you believe the answer is no, and I've met a lot of people who do believe the answer is no, and incidentally those people are, are older, you know, maybe they've tried something and it hasn't worked out for them, or they just haven't found success for one reason or another but they tend to say it's all chance you're only hearing from the people who have succeeded there, there are a lot of people who are young that think that too that's very true but it's the thing that you you, you and I were talking about a few days ago the, if you, <laughs> I think it's the same thing where all of the people who think it's chance are the ones who have never done it and the people who have done whatever the definition of success is whatever your metric is I think you'll find all of them, s- to some degree, think that they had some response. They're somehow responsible for it. I was talking to my dad about this day. We tend, as humans, we attribute our successes to our abilities, and we attribute our failures to our environment. Yeah. So if people, and we do the inverse. And we do, others. we do the inverse. Yeah. To others. If somebody else succeeds, it's the environment. Yeah. And if somebody else fails, it's their ability, right. and they couldn't so get it together. Bias. So there's yeah. that total bias in every single one of us. And we feel like we're special. What and is that? We can, it's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. We can do it because we know something different and we're special. So that's something to take, you know, this whole uh, 
argument that maybe it's not only survivorship bias has that in it. The fact that we would like to believe that we have the ability to make it happen. And and we would like and other people, you know, maybe it was just chance for them. It's very yeah, but interesting. I'm <laughs> but I'm special. <laughs> no, it's the but to, to go back to your thing a second ago, it's the the what is it, Grahamsville and Doddsville? Yeah, Graham and Doddsville. So we were just reading that snippet of, uh, well, at the end of The Intelligent Investor, Warren Buffett wrote in the appendix. I think it's a, it was an article from Fortune magazine. Okay. Is what it was. It was reprinted cool. there, I think. And he was basically, oh, go ahead, sum it up. Well, yeah, it's the idea that he had listed a, a handful of people that he knew uh, back in the day before they were successful at anything that and three or four of them were guys that he worked with when he worked for, for Ben Graham from 1954 to 56 mm-hmm. and, it, and he was saying that you know it was him and three or four other guys and he's kept in touch or seen records of two or three of those guys and it's, they've invested in totally totally different areas. If you look at their portfolios, there's like virtually no overlap. And they've all had uh, absurdly good, good results. And Warren attributes it to following the, the basic precepts, the basic principles of, of Ben Graham and David Dodd. Mm-hmm. Value investing. And he says that that's the thing in how they make all of their decisions is how to get something that's worth a dollar and, and pay 40 cents for it and it doesn't matter what that something is as long as you can recognize enough variables to, to minimize risk as much as you can and he makes a strong point of pointing out that it's not survivorship bias because he's it's not hindsight that he's recognizing these people he's not choosing them from a a selection of people who have succeeded. Who won lottery tickets? <laughs> He's choosing these from people he knew before they had money, and he called it that these people were going to be successful because of. And, and he called it because they did the same thing he did. Yeah, they approached it the same way. Exactly. And he was he was said that that was the way to do it. He he had the best luck with it, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he executed it best, or whatever the right word is for it. Yeah. But it's that thing, and it's it's fascinating how those guys work together. And it was when you're reading that, it's the I, I feel like I know those guys to some degree because it's like they're talked about a whole bunch in in the in Warren's biography, but in Charlie's biography, and so they they talk about how <laughs> whatever when Charlie met Warren and, and after talking to him, you know, <laughs> quickly figured out what Warren was doing and, and assessed that he spends his whole day, you know, working on his sun porch. <laughs> <laughs> and like young kid who's doing very well, <laughs> and then by the end of the conversation, Charlie asked him really honestly, "Warren, do you think I could do something like like what you're doing?" And Warren paused for a second and thought about it. Was like, "Yeah, you definitely could." <laughs> Is that thing? So Charlie took that back to California and and did his own investment group with a his own partnership, and then he spread that to a guy that. I think a guy that he worked with at the law office or a guy he met through the mm-hmm. law office or something. It's just it's interesting how how the idea spread because it's the it would suggest that it's the idea or it's the thought process that does it because it's by the people who adopted that thought process mm-hmm. and who who adapted the thought process and then had the discipline to execute it. Execute it. Consistently. So that's the thing that's exceptional about Warren. 
and Charlie, it's it's the consistency with which they do rational things. Yeah. Any whatever anybody can <laughs> broken clocks right twice a day. Anybody can do a chance thing. Blah blah blah. But to to do it over time that consistently would imply that is something other than chance. It's action. It's yeah. it's the the portion that they have control over has a bigger effect on the outcome than, than the portion they don't. So taking that and applying that to business in the form of creating a business rather than recognizing great businesses, you... Because in creating a business, you have to do the same thing. Right? You have to you're do the same thing. You're trying to recognize a great business that's not there yet. You're trying to recognize a great business that's not there. Uh, the tough part so it's is... Harder. <laughs> it's harder because there are not as many constraints, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, but true. The more constraints you have, the easier it would tend to be. From that perspective. Absolutely. From that perspective. So absolutely, it's we don't have constraints really when creating a business model. But to the point of Buffett, it, when when Buffett and Munger recognize great businesses, that's their job is to recognize a great business and buy it when it's undervalued. Mm-hmm. We need to identify a great business that does not yet exist through the same checklist that they use so by doing that it would be the same thing if done successfully it's the same thing intellectually as having the the Graham and Dodd uh, Graham and Doddsville value investing theory for business creation yeah and then it's just inserting the analysis because Warren made the point that each investor chose what they invest they in. They choose different, yeah, they chose They do it all from the same principle. But I, I do want to stress, I believe anyway, that uh, it does matter what you go into, yeah. what the market <laughs> is at what time, obviously. But I, I previously like. Well, if we started selling pagers right now, right, it would be a bad, sure it would be a bad time. Be a if we wanted to be wagon wheel makers, you know, we wouldn't maybe get the same success as Microsoft. We should breed faster horses. Faster horses. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it matters. I don't know. A, a year? No, not even a year ago. Like a couple of weeks ago or days ago, I was <laughs> of the opinion that you could choose any industry. And as long as you executed well, you could make it happen. And to an extent, that's true. You can make a successful business. But again, we're talking about great genes and not so great genes. And the thing that I want to, and I keep asking you this, but it's the thing that I really want to clarify you. Yeah, your definition of what's a successful business. For this, right now, I'm defining success by a monetary amount. How much? So... That's a personal question. <laughs> uh, it's that thing, though. It's like it's the because you can make. A, we talked about this the other day too. The thousand true fans thing. Mm-hmm. I think you could make a living making artisan wagon wheels. You totally could. You totally. You could get. You make a comfortable living. Doing you could get a comfortable <laughs> living doing that. You just have to convince. The internet's amazing to, for that. Yeah, pay a premium, whatever, and there's a thing to do it. There was a woman in. She was somewhere in upstate New York. And she was the one who she sewed sequins on clothing, and she was the one who had the commission to sew sequins on Michael Jackson's love. Oh, Sixty awesome. Minutes did a profile on her, <laughs> and she had like all of these crazy things. She did it for like Olympic things and whatever. She did all these things, but high end sequin. Seems that was her thing. That was her thing, and she made more money on that than most people do at <laughs> anything they do. Right. It's something very absurd, 
But that wouldn't meet your definition of a successful no. business. No. And so I think that's important to, to differentiate because you're putting you're putting another constraint on your checklist now. It's very stringent. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So it might be useful to organize it as um, things that, that, that so if we ignore your definition of success for a minute okay. and switch it to things that over time uh, turn a profit they're on the, the whatever the green side or the black side however that works yeah and then things that are on the red side and it's we figure out the things that do both of those and then once you have the, the list of things that, that are effective that are sustainable <laughs> and then profitable to whatever degree then you weed out the rest or you put constraints on the rest so but it might be easier for your thought process to not put that filter on it yet. My definitions of that would be to get a successful, let's say, company that has a thousand true fans. I would say most of that comes down to execution. Okay. That's not. I wouldn't put much, many of those actions a in a uh, list of a business model being the reason for the success. That's a good argument. Of the company. Yeah, anything... The Thousand True Fans stuff is all about execution. Execution, which can it be done... It literally doesn't matter what you do. Which is awesome! And no, so... super liberating. So helpful. <laughs> that feels good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, any one of us could do that if we were dedicated enough and persistent enough, we could make that happen right now in anything we wanted. Wow. Which is cool. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's right. To take it to the next level of, let's say you want... Tens of billions, hundreds of billions. Now that's it's sticky as to where exactly that line is, where you're switching over from execution is most of the success versus business model is most of the success. Well, it's probably gradual, and then it's the thing if you want to do it where you start a business, like the grassroots level thing, mm -hmm. is that the Derek Sivers thing. Yeah, yeah. If you want to do it like that, then you start with execution. And it doesn't matter what it is you're doing to get you to that point. And then once you have the 1,000 true fans status, whatever that number is for whatever it is you're doing, then then you would start to see what the difference is. Then you would start to see what the stuff is on, on your list that, you know, cancels out on the other Yeah, one. yeah. But it's the thing, and that's a probably a smart way to do it. It's the that's the market testing or whatever that, that Tim Ferriss talks about. Would be something like that, right? But it's the then there's the folks who who do it where they get you know massive business loans and investors and venture capitalists and whatever. And it's the I think most of those companies that that venture capitalists go for already have the thousand true fans, but they they seem to think that it can be exponentially. Bigger. They seem to think the business model is worth it, and and the numbers for, for like the entire <laughs> the entire field of venture capital, the the numbers of successes to failures, it's a horrible ratio. Horrible, absolutely. So it might be worth looking at those things too. Horrible to try and discern what the stuff is. So you, yeah, you have to ask whether that whole process of venture capitalism is one of chance. But the the I guess the point that is worth emphasizing from this is the you're right the thousand true fans stuff is all about execution but it's the stuff you're going to need no matter what you do you're right if you so want to be the well I, yes and no I would actually say if you have a great business model it can it can make up for that example. so an example 
Th- this is completely contrived. Cool. You, <laughs> you are the only one who makes toilet paper and sells toilet paper. And the world has not had toilet paper. And somebody gets a hold... You're pretty bad. You're pretty horrible. But somebody gets a hold of some and like, Dear God, this is, stuff is amazing. Well, you have to overthrow the entire craze of using a sponge on a stick like the ancient Greeks did. You, wanna, you come up with an example for me. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Like, if you've got a, a product that people need, they, they don't even want to pay you money for it. They're not happy about the price, but they need it. And I'm just, I'm just trying to think of an example in history where that's been the case. I'm saying that theoretically you're totally... That seems plausible. I can't imagine there's not there haven't been come. You, you got to think there are. I mean, we, it's just really an exercise of sitting down and trying to go through all the companies and figure out which ones match that. But there are companies. I've not heard of a single one that that doesn't start execute with well. The somebody doing the thousand events, the Apple, started with Steve Jobs selling a thousand boards. Well, that's I don't know. I mean, there's a difference between those companies. I think there's a difference between what you're saying between a thousand true fans company and a company that has to have a thousand first customers. Like that's just the on the way. For both of them is almost identical. I think for that stage, I think it's what happens after that stage that differentiates it between the two. I don't think you can skip the 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 part. The hustle. I don't think you can skip that part. No, I think you can. You have to work, and you have to do it. I guess by execute poorly, I mean you've set the pricing wrong. You don't have terribly good customer service. You're just not a but, great. But you can't. This is the part that I'd like to make too, because it's like if you have a very very small business and you execute poorly, you go out of business, no matter how good the idea is. When you are that small, your execution is everything. I agree with you. But I think a very, very good idea won't make up for poor execution at that level. You're going to have to come up with some examples. Well, yeah, because I would love to hear an example where somebody was absolute crap at what they were doing and it became a billion dollar business. I don't think that's ever happened. I think that there have been ideas that have been sound and if somebody was absolute crap in executing it, somebody who was better came along and did it. Yeah, well that makes sense. That would make sense. Like took the idea and ran, but if the person who had the idea that was crap, I don't think made any money. I'm, you're right. I'm speaking about it purely in a vacuum, which we know doesn't exist. Right. It's theoretical. That I, I my point is the business model is important. Totally. Like we've, I think that you know everybody says ideas are worthless and execution, execution, execution. I feel like that is merely a reaction to a previous mindset of ideas are so important that we all just said, well, let's throw ourselves to the other end of the boat now because yeah. let's execute now because people haven't been uh, talking about execution. So now that's all we're going to talk <laughs> about. Because we're idea. Because we're an idea. So well, no, you have to have both. you got to bring it back to, to the center. And I'm not trying to undermine that at all. Your argument, you're, you're absolutely right. You have to have a sound business idea. But it's that you have to do it, <laughs> whatever. You have to have a really, really good idea, and you have to do it really well if you want to do it really well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it's the um, it's fascinating. A sound business plan with great execution. That's what we're after. But the great execution is like you look at those guys too. You look at Richard Branson, and it's the 
His first venture, Student Magazine, wasn't executed particularly well. I think they published in total four four issues in a year. And, it's, and he made it work. I mean, he was able to pay all his friends who were working with him, and he got John Lennon and Yoko Ono to do a single for one of the magazines that didn't work out. But he, you know, 16-year-old kid, not John Lennon, for his project, and, and did all this stuff. But it's, he learned a lot from... He learned a lot from from making mistakes doing that stuff. Yeah. And it was that would be an example of something that it was a, a sound idea in that he saw uh, the student population of England in the sixties. He he was part of that. He felt totally unrepresented in any form of media. So he saw a huge void there. And he figured out something that he could do to fill it. And he was able to you know, hustle and, and sell get a distribution in, in a lot of schools and then hustle and get a lot of ads. He learned how to sell ads over the phone doing that stuff. And it was like, and that's a simple model that's that's sound, that had a demand. Which is totally cool. But it's something, I mean, something he executed okay. <laughs> I mean, he didn't turn into Rupert Murdoch or anything, but he he did it enough to to get it to the point where he learned a lot and then wanted to do something else. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I think, it, like many things, it's a uh, difference in definition. Probably. My definition of business of a great business model is actually defined by the fact that you can execute it poorly. Like, if you don't... Cool. If you, if you can't execute it poorly, then it's not a great business plan. And even... And, and again, to, not to... <laughs> yeah, keep going. Totally this is good. But it's the definition of execution. It's like, poorly or not, it's, um, there's optimum efficiency and effectiveness, which I'm, I'm not sure anybody will ever achieve optimum anything, whatever, right. I don't know. And then there's the, all of the degrees, gradients under that, that you can do while it still works, while people still buy things from you. And then there are things you can do where I think, like, if... <laughs> people call call you for ad space for your magazine and you answer the phone by shouting, shouting obscenities <laughs> at them. I you're think right. that that's, that's beyond worse. poorly yeah. poor execution. Yeah. You're right. So I had a hard time with the gradient. Too. You're right. There is a gradient there. That's where everything gets tricky. Yeah. And so I think we need to clearly define that stuff too. But it's, it also may not matter. It's the, the idea... I don't know. It's maybe it, it might be totally necessary though. Because it's the idea that, that you want something that there's a market for, that there's a demand for, that people want, and then you want it, you want to be able to actually deliver it, at least minimal viable, yeah, execution. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But so then, then the list comes down to figuring out how to identify what uh, the now. Guess what the what the product or service or whatever the, what the business is. Yes, that's the tricky bit, and that that's part of it. And then part of it is to then run it through the filter of uh, your skill set, your own circle of competence, because that that determines your execution, your ability mm-hmm. to execute it. And if you can do that above minimal viable, you probably want to give yourself a margin of safety with it. <laughs> You're going to screw some things up. That's yeah. for sure. But I think it, it has to be both of those. I think if if we if we undermine uh, our ability to execute the thing or to learn how to execute the thing in a timely enough fashion to do it, doesn't matter how good the idea is, we won't be able to realize it. And if we have something that we are 
absurdly confident about that nobody ever wants to pay money for ever. We could probably convince a few people to do it, <laughs> but I don't think it would. Right, you'll never take reach either. that threshold. Yeah, I think you have to have balance, which is what you're saying before about the ideas, 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 execution, execution, execution. It's like the craze of all of the business guru crap for the last, the previous decade, was all about how to have ideas and creative ideas and get your ideas and oh my god, ideas. Yeah, and now it's fail, fail, execute, execute, right. fail, fail. And it'll swing back and forth with that. But it's like everything else, it probably comes to, to a balance yeah. of the two. But if we neglect either one of those, the results will be poor. Totally but agree. on the very Execution. small scale, you can almost make anything work-ish. Through excellent execution. Yeah. I think so. Which is cool. Yeah. But that's what you're saying, picking the noun... And I don't know how you do that. That's the trick. There are some people who very um, deliberately do it. But all of the people who have very deliberately picked a noun, uh, like it's their passion. It's like Rodney Mullen. His, his noun would be skateboarding. And that's what he does. And it's his passion. And how that turned into something that generated him a net worth in excess of $30 million was not something he thought about when he was the nine-year-old kid with the passion. That was him having a passion throwing his entire being at it and then recognizing opportunities along the way. Well, if it's... So if the show The Men Who Built America is to be believed, mm -hmm. Rockefeller did not have a passion for oil, no. but rather recognized that oil was going to be mm -hmm. a big thing right. and decided I can make a lot of money in that. And his goals were to be... Is it just a millionaire? It was like to be a millionaire and to live to be a hundred. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was, and, and he ended up with way more money in a few years less. Yeah. Or something. yeah right. So balance out. You just put a price on life. <laughs> and Carnegie, uh, <laughs> Carnegie wasn't passionate about steel as far as I can remember he he came across this business opportunity where somebody figured out how to reduce the steel making it process it was his employer at the time gave him a, a near impossible assignment to build a bridge to cross the Mississippi or something and there was no known way to do it at that point it was a fairly wide point in a river and <laughs> timber was the way that it was traditionally built but he was talking with somebody about well, what about steel? And they look at him like, there's no way we can manufacture enough steel to build a bridge, are you crazy? And then he found the guy, found a guy who had the technological breakthrough. Right. And so it was through that venture, but it was not Dale, It was not Andrew Carnegie as a six-year-old boy saying, I'm going to make steel. Right. It was a dude who noticed an opportunity as in the midst of doing something else that he was already Trains. successful at. Right. Yeah, it was for the train guy. And he figured out the whole marketing thing with the elephant and whatever. It's like, Carnegie was smart. He's <laughs> incredibly smart. And he was one of those dudes who, who bragged about how he, you know, knew nothing about the technical details of manufacturing steel and desired none of that knowledge. And, and didn't need to, to be successful. At all to do it. Which is awesome. And that's the part that then, so you need to be able to identify the noun and allocate the day-to-day -day specifics of that noun to people who are way more equipped to deal with those than you are. Right, for, for making it happen. Which is Richard Branson. Which is Richard Branson's thing. You, you get a system of people and being able to cultivate people 
which then allows you to do amazing technical things. But they're all focused towards the noun. You need both. <laughs> you need both. Okay. So it's what you were saying with Rodney Mullen. This is just a feeling. I have nothing to back this up whatsoever. And I may be swinging in the other opposite direction of my previous beliefs. But this is <laughs> likely. That's likely. how we do this. But this feeling is that there are lots of other Rodney Mullins who are passionate about skateboarding and didn't make it to, to as much fame as Rodney Mullen. A lot of them, there, there are a few... That, so, yeah, they're totally... They're we, don't, we don't hear about them. We have yeah. no way of comparing them. Because that's an example also, of survivorship bias. But it's also an example of the Rodney Mullen thing. He didn't go at it. His definition of success was not to make a lot of money. Right. His definition of success was to uh, get to skateboard all the time. And I'm sure a lot of their... innovate the, the skateboarding. Their definitions are probably exactly that. All the other people... All the other Rodney Mullins Well, there's the people world. who have a noun that's based on passion, though. It's not always to make a lot of money. It's not always to make a lot of money. It's sometimes yeah. just to do the hobby or the passion... And, that's not, and then they're successful. That's not a model that should be ignored, though, because the people who are, like, truly uh, throw themselves 150% into whatever the noun is tend to do all right. Do well. <laughs> right. Not all of them. But you've got a... Uh, we can say you've got a higher chance of success of succeeding in, a, in an industry that you're interested in versus an industry you're not interested in. Saying nothing about the the top end of the industry absolutely yeah, yeah. and then to, to extrapolate further for your degree of success if you really want top tier you've got to pick the right industry passionate in the correct industry because you can't you can't excel over time at something you don't really care about right I think that's true now Andrew Carnegie cared about people and the system of people much like Richard Branson mm-hmm. And he cared about the innovation that the technology allowed. He just didn't care about the specifics. The technicals. Yeah. Which is fantastic. He was all about the ideas. (laughs) Which is Walt Disney as well. I mean, Walt Disney is a terrible cartoonist. Which is awesome. Which is awesome. But he was really into making technological breakthroughs and making sure his organization continued to do that. And he was one who learned about execution by doing it very poorly, however many times he went bankrupt. He went bankrupt three times, I believe. Yeah. And then, uh, fourth time was a charm. And we're all three of those animation studios? Yeah. So he had the same idea three times, he just executed it poorly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's cool. Now, Walt Disney was in the golden age of Hollywood. Well, you talked about, too, that he, he's, whatever, he moved to California to be a director. <clears throat> director, and then and an actor. Yeah, so... Had it been a different time, he, you know... May have done would have moved to California. <laughs> Possible. He would have done something else. Possible, yeah. Had he been in Carnegie's day, he would have gone and built the bridge or whatever. He's one of those dudes. It's very interesting. Well, he was in Kansas City, Missouri, where he did Laughograms, which is another cartoon type venture but it's like those guys and I'm yeah those guys uh, Carnegie and Rockefeller I don't think Ford falls into this category I think Ford had a passion for a thing he did but uh, Carnegie and Rockefeller and Walt Disney those are guys who I think no, no matter what the what the times <laughs> no matter what was in vogue at the time I think they would have found something to, to be successful at. And that is what I'm looking for. 
So that's just distilling what they they did, and it's their ability to to recognize a good business model, right? <laughs> and then, and then execute it well with the correct people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if we can sum it up by saying that, the question, not an easy question, comes down to how do you identify a great business model? Mm-hmm. And what does it take to execute it well? <laughs> <laughs> but we kind of affirmed that if you can identify a great business model and you can identify how to execute it well with great people, then you can be successful. I think so. By definition, we're basically defining these terms by the fact that they will lead to success. Like if you pick a business model and it doesn't lead to success then you haven't picked the correct business model. That's kind of... Or you haven't executed Or you haven't executed well. So our definition of success (laughs) is built into the fact that... So there are two moving variables. Right. So we've we've got to... It's built into the definition of what a business model is. And the problem with that is kind of like string theory where you can't actually prove. (laughs) You can't (laughs) prove it right or wrong, really. There's no empirical way to say it's wrong. So we can't, you know, in the long run, this idea, you can't really prove it wrong. Well, at the very least, it probably won't hurt your odds to try and discern patterns. Correct. And then incorporate them. That's true. This is the entire, we should do a whole thing on Port Charlie's Almanac. I would love that. Because the entire thing of the Almanac is that. Psychology of human misjudgment. And I want to do some on the universe and galaxies. We should do that. Yeah. That's good. Cool. Are we signing off? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. And good luck.